This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. For the first time in this podcast, we will be taking a look at three spectacular movies in one episode. Who will survive in John vs. Spider-Man The Raimi Trilogy? Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is John versus Film, and just a heads up, I apologize if I sound a little bit off. I am recovering from a pretty nasty cold I had all last week. It was really bad. I had, like, zero energy. I felt like complete shit. And yes, I will be swearing now since I've made this podcast say explicit you know, as it's rating. So I am fine with all the swearing now. I'm probably going to not swear every sentence, but I'm not going to try to censor myself now. With that disclaimer off the way, um, I, let's go, I'm going to do another disclaimer. <laughs> uh, this disclaimer is about this month. Now, I do not expect... To do this in the future, I would actually rather talk about these movies individually, but because I actually want to try to get on the trend of Spider-Man No Way Home, I feel I have to talk about all the live-action Spider-Man movies. Because, one, I am a huge Spider-Man fan. I've been a fan since I was a little kid. I remember watching the 90s cartoon from Fox. I remember watching reruns of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. I grew up with the Raimi movies. Spider-Man has been a part of my life almost, if not just as long as Godzilla has been. He is by far my favorite superhero. And also another reason I want to do this is because I want to jump on the you know, bandwagon for No Way Home, get while it's going to be hot. And, of course, with No Way Home, we know that it's been confirmed by the time of recording this. I am recording this all the way back in November, just to let you know. I This is before the second trailer has come out, or it, it's rumored to come out. <laughs> uh, literally, the poster just came out last night. That This is how far back it is. So this episode will be coming out in the first weekend of December. That's the goal. But with that aside, I figured since, again, confirmed, villains are coming back from the previous movies and unconfirmed, but pretty much confirmed by rumors... (laughs) Just it's just not officially confirmed is that Andrew and Toby are coming back. It, it's 
everyone knows that they're coming back, but Sony and Marvel just don't want to say it, which fair, I guess, but there's no point of keeping it a secret anymore. But yeah, so anyway, because of all the movies are going to be tied into No Way Home, I just don't feel right to just talk about Homecoming and Far From Home. I got to talk about all the movies. And so I'm clumping multiple movies into singular episodes based on their series. So this episode will be on the Raimi trilogy. The next will be on the Mark Webb duology. And then we got Homecoming Far From Home. Then it will be the No Way Home review. And maybe as a bonus episode at the very end of the month, I might try to talk about um, Into the Spider-Verse. I, I, I know I probably should have kept that like a surprise, but I might post that day early. We'll see. But anywho, this is Spidey Month. And let's finally get on to my thoughts on the Raimi trilogy, the movies that I grew up with as a kid. And yeah, I watched all three movies, the theatrical versions. I will go back to watch 2.1 and 3.1 afterwards, but I really wanted to just talk about the theatrical ones because those are the ones that most people have seen. And yeah, I think they hold up very well. And I'm going to have a little hot take. My hot take is Spider-Man 3, the one that a lot of people don't like, is actually very underrated. I think it is an underrated movie. But before I get into Spider-Man 3, let's, let's just quickly go through the movies one by one and then talk about the trilogy as a whole. And, <clears throat> yeah, so this is going to be different than the whole what I like and what I dislike. But let's start off with the first one, which I do think is the weakest. I think is the weakest movie. I still love it, but I'm also glad it is the weakest out of the trilogy, in my opinion. I know a lot of people think 3 is the weakest, but I actually am going to disagree. And I'll get into why, but... Again, focus on the first one. I think it's the one that maybe hasn't aged the best. It still has very early 2000s, 90s cliches, but it still it still holds up. It's a very strong like uh, origin story. It's the reason why everybody knows about Uncle Ben's death. This is the movie. And it is such a great origin movie. It showcases who Peter Parker is as a character. And they and the direction they went is him being a nerdy but good-hearted kid who becomes a Spider-Man. <laughs> a great man, but a Spider-Man. I I probably got that from a YouTube channel. I, I forgot the name of the channel. Shoot. I think it's High Top. Let me see. You know, I'll just do Spider-Man 3. 
high top films yes okay so i i've also watched his video essays on these movies i couldn't help myself so i probably got influenced some of my opinions from his which i probably should not have done but again it too little too late i'll try to keep i'll try not to like merge my opinions with his too often so i guess there it is like that's another disclaimer for having so many disclaimers in this episode right now <laughs> uh but yeah i so related to peter in this movie you know because and especially now seeing it as a young adult in my mid-20s i and have gone through high school i i it wouldn't be right to say peter was a nerdy kid he was more of an outsider yes he was nerdy but if you really look at it, he wasn't even in a like a niche he had his one friend harry and i didn't really have a niche growing up like i didn't fit into a group i was an outsider by every means and this might get into amazing but i have yet to rewatch the amazing movies yep i just want to talk about Raimi. but still even then i only had a small handful of friends growing up and bless them as well like i i truly am grateful that for those friends i grew up with but still i i felt very much like an outsider i felt like peter parker and it's just so admirable that you know we see peter parker go through you know the crap he <laughs> deals with just in you know in high school and yet still tries to be his best self i really loved how they implemented that it was peter's fault that uncle ben died in respect like he failed to use his powers responsibly and he faced the consequence of losing uncle ben that's that's one of the things that makes spider-man's origin very compelling like you there's like a thing where a superhero has to have you know a defining moment in their origin is that they're defined by a tragedy of the past you know and like bruce wayne with his parents dying but it's here though where the tragedy is directly a consequence of the hero's action i think that's just that was been brilliant writing back in the 60s and it's been brilliantly executed by sam raimi in this movie just showing peter because he wanted you know he was a teen an angsty teen who wanted to get a car to impress the girl next door and because he felt jaded you know with not getting the money he did earn you know you know we can sympathize that he did earn that movie that money from the wrestling match but the wrestling manager or whatever he he gypped him you know and he has every right to feel pissed off you know but it does doesn't make that you know peter's actions right by like he did he let the criminal go 
not because he was scared or because he wasn't able to or, you know, for his safety. He had the means to stop him, but he didn't for his selfishness, his own jadedness against the guy who gypped him. And he's like, well, sorry, not my problem. You know, and that's that's so brilliant, you know, and then when he goes back to meet with Uncle Ben that he finds, you know, Uncle Ben has been shot and he was there. You know, at Uncle Ben's death. So, yeah, that's just the compelling thing is that it, through storytelling and just beyond the message of directly telling us great power comes great responsibility. You know, they tell us that, but then they show us that. You know, they show us the consequences of Peter, you know, failing to use his great power responsibly. So yeah, I love Peter's arc and how one of like his last conversation before Ben gets shot was how he said that Ben wasn't his father. And then at the end of the movie, he says he has a father and his name is Uncle Ben. You know, so that's great. And by the way, uh, just to let you know, for people who say Toby was a great Peter Parker, but not a great Spider-Man, you're I, you're, you have every right to your opinion, but I feel that opinion is wrong. To people who say he doesn't quip, that is, that is nonsense. He does quip. It's very cheesy quipping, very, very cheesy. But he does quip. He he does make the jokes. It's just it's very cheesy, like I said. But that's kind of the tone that the movie was going for, anyways. That's how this Peter's. You know, Spidey works, and it does show that, you know, and also people argue, oh, Spider-Man and Peter Parker, they're two different characters, but they're not. They're not really. Spider-Man is just an extension of Peter Parker, and that doesn't define, you know, that doesn't, you know, like, take away from the overall message of all the, you know, Spider-Man stories that we've gotten that says everybody can be Spider-Man. It doesn't take away of it. In fact, I think it adds on to it because it shows that everyone is Spider-Man, but my you know, but not everybody is the same Spider-Man. Everybody's everybody's their own Spider-Man. Their own Spider-Man is an extension of themselves. It's not a complete different person. It is still you. But it's that anybody can be under the mask. Uh, so I I felt like P- Tobey Maguire definitely nailed the role of Peter Parker in this movie. His acting was so great as Peter and Spider-Man. Of course, J.K. Simmons, fantastic, absolutely brilliant casting for J. Jonah Jameson. So glad he's coming back to play him in the No Way Home and had that cameo in Far From Home. I am so, so glad he was cast as J. Jonah Jameson. Every, like, he is the voice of J. Jonah. There's no arguing with that. I, I do love how in these movies we get to see the, you know, 
we get to constantly see the cast of characters from the Daily Bugle. And I think it's a shame that the other two movies, like two movie series, they went on to step away from Peter's relationship with the Daily Bugle, but which is like a real shame because Peter has a strong relationship with a lot of the, you know, team members, you know, all the employees, you know, who work for the Daily Bugle. It's a part of his story, and it's been a shame to see it taken away in future movies. So I rewatching this, I'm so glad to, you know, visit these cast of characters from the Daily Bugle and see them be a part of Peter's life. Uh, another great and fantastic part of this movie was William Defoe as the Green Goblin. He did a fantastic job, you know, showing, you know, this duality between Norman and this inner demon of the Green Goblin. And I think he's like the opposite to Spidey in some sense, where Spider-Man is the best part of ourselves, while the Green Goblin is our inner demons, the worst part of ourselves. So while Peter embraces his best part and becomes Spider-Man, Norman embraces his worst part. He embraces his inner demons and is manipulated by it, by his fears, and becomes the villain Green Goblin. I think this movie shows that we actually have the capacity to be both. Norman was consumed by his fears of what he can lose. While Peter, because quite frankly, he doesn't have much to lose, he embraces his responsibility to be the best that he can be and to help others. You know, and also it shows kind of like the difference between the two you know, guess different classes, you know, of wealth, you know, with Peter coming, you know, growing up poor and Norman, you know, being rich for quite a lot of his life, I would imagine. Uh, I got to wrap this part up real quick because I got two other movies to talk about. See, this is why I want to do, I would like to do these movies individually, but, uh, I love but hate now that No Way Home is going to be like Spider-Man Endgame. Uh, so we'll end up with we'll end with Spider-Man 2002 with saying what I didn't really care for. I think, unfortunately, that has to go with MJ. I just not with Christian Dunst acting. I think she does a great job, and she will continue to do a more fantastic job, but. Just more of how she's written in this movie, I wasn't a super fan of. I felt that she was too... She jumped the gun between relationships too much. Like, she was jumping between... I mean, you can argue that as part of, you know, her character arc. Learning to stop, you know, seeking love from others and starting to love herself. You know, and to that degree, I actually agree with that. I just, it's more so, I don't think it was executed that great. 
I think they could have done maybe a better job or, you know, it might been just the times, you know. And also, yeah, she, in this movie, she was too much of a damsel in distress. She was, she had to be saved one too many times in this movie. It was annoying in this movie. But that out of the way, I do like this movie. I do think it's the weakest, but not a bad movie. Weakest, which is a good thing. So next we'll go chronologically with the best movie in this trilogy, Far None. And that's Spider-Man 3. Just kidding, Spider-Man 2. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna even say Spider-Man Three is better than Spider-Man Two. That that's taking <laughs> taking it one one step too far. <laughs> oh dear. Uh good thing I'm not super popular yet. Or if that was taken out of context, I career would be ruined, ruined completely. But no, Spider-Man Two, best Spider-Man movie, and it's hard and you know what it's kind of hard to you know before after i watched into the spider-verse i thought that was the best one but after rewatching spider-man 2 i'm like <sighs> i it, it's so hard because both of them are so great but uh, you know i'm, I'm gonna have to rewatch into the spider-verse now to but like to confirm but after the rewatch of spider-man 2 i gotta say i think it's better than into the spider-verse by just a tiny bit just a tiny bit again i still gotta watch into rewatch into the spider-verse for this podcast i <laughs> i will oof oof it's tough because spider-man 2 is such a fantastic movie i everybody has said it i like what they did with peter parker like the balls that they had it's like okay we got through peter parker's origin that means we can go more spider-man action right and sam raimi's like no no we're going more peter parker in this movie and i would and i feel like the spider-man 2 has aged like fine wine because it deals with something that everybody's been dealing with, especially creatives on the internet, and that is burnout culture. Like, Spider-Man in this movie goes through a burnout. And it's just so great seeing Peter's arc, seeing him be at his lowest point that everybody can relate to, I'm sure, or just everything is going wrong nothing you can do is right and that makes you so tired it makes you burnt out and it's that burnout that makes peter lose his spidey powers and his you know solution is is the wrong solution is to drop you know peter like is to drop the spider-man identity now i know some people have gone on and say that they don't like how oh peter's life is so much better now that he dropped spider-man you know then i'm like no it's not watch the movie again 
it's at first, you know, after raindrops are falling on my head, you know, it's that it's that denial part that oh, I dropped the thing that I I've dropped my passion. I dropped you know this now all my life is going to be better. No, he in that way Peter lost his identity because you know as Spider-Man, you know, he Spider-Man is a part of himself and him dropping that, he loses a part of that, that identity. So what he does to try to fill it up is to try to make instead of trying to do to make what makes him happy, he tries to please other people and try to make them happy. And that's the wrong way to do it. If anyone who's gone through burnout, you know, and has recouped from it knows that just trying to sacrifice yourself to make others happy isn't going to work out. And in the movie, it shows like after, like everyone points to the raindrops, you know, keep falling your head is like, Oh, Peter's life is now all better. No, it isn't. The problems of Peter Parker are still there. His life is still shit. He's still in that shitty apartment. Sure. He, you know, he came on time to Connor's class once. That doesn't stop, you know, the fact that, you know, he makes Connor's happy. Okay, cool. By showing the class like he should have, you know. And yeah, he showed up to MJ's play. But MJ points out in that movie, he only went to the play once. All right. And it was after MJ gave him, gave Peter a spiel of how he wasn't showing up for her. His relationship with Harry is still in the trash. He, he's not going to give really good Spider-Man picks from the Daily Bugle anymore. And he thinks that telling the truth to Aunt May was going to solve everything. It was going to make her happy, but it doesn't. You know, again. And then he, you know, we see Peter, you know, kind of ignoring the guy in the street, which I'll, I'll say that's fair. That's fair to kind of criticize that. I feel like Peter would should have at least tried to call for help, help for the guy being murdered in the alleyway, but other than that, you know, him trying to save you know, the girl from the fire and then finding out oh, other people are still in the building and he couldn't save them. You know, it's it shows that Peter Parker he's still the good-natured hero but him dropping Spider-Man is not the solution. And when he does when he does uh, go back to Spider-Man, it's actually not you know a simple snap back. You know, because it's progressive, like he tries to jump, you know, over you know the gap and he says, I'm back, I'm back, and then falls in to say my back, my back, you know, it's not a simple progress and when he does get his powers back after MJ gets kidnapped, he's a changed man by this point. He's someone who's gone through burnout. And he's, and it was only after he had that talk from Aunt May, and that little talk with MJ, you know, and to try to say, I, it's just, uh, I could go into to this movie so much, and. 
I, I forgot to mention this, but I also had kind of a problem with Harry in the last movie. I thought he was a bit, hmm, I don't know, too much of a jerk. But here I can empathize with him a little bit more in this movie. I feel like both Harry and MJ's characters were really fleshed out in this movie as well. Beyond their roles in the last movie. And I felt that was so great. How they executed. And Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. What a great performance of showing... uh, man torn by his own ambitions and it's no wonder why people say he's the best version of doc ock until spider-man ps4 came out but that aside alfred molina is still the live action doc ock and i also love seeing sam raimi's horror elements come in into this movie a bit more especially with Doc Ock's arms in the hospital scene. What what a scary moment. And uh, I can go on and on about these movies, but again, we're running out of time. Sadly, uh, I don't think I have anything that I dislike about this movie. So I'm very biased. I'm a very biased Spidey, <laughs> Spidey fanboy. I, I will say that. But I'm not sure if there is anything I dislike about this movie. I would have to go into these movies again more detailed in their own separate episodes, but I need to tackle them all in this one episode. So I love Spider-Man 2. Everything has been said about Spider-Man 2, honestly. And now let's go into Spider-Man 3, the the hated one of this trilogy, and the one that I think is underrated. Now, people say it has too many villains, but reality is it only has one main antagonist. It's not Harry. It's not Sandman. And it's not Venom. It's not Eddie Brock. No, the the antagonist to Spider-Man 3, believe it or not, is Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. He is this movie's antagonist. He's the reason why they, you know, the three characters I mentioned are not, like, they are villains to him. He made, like, this is the one movie out of the trilogy where Spidey creates the villains full-heartedly. Like, sure. Like, Sandman's tragic because you know, he's not a bad guy, but he's someone who has bad luck. And you believe it with his performance as well. I'm glad he's coming back. I loved him as uh, Sandman and the birth of Sandman. That scene was beautiful beautiful by every means and you can argue that he's even though he his heart's in the right place of trying to find money for his daughter to heal her his methods of doing so are wrong because he's stealing from others you know 
So again, he's not a bad guy, just bad luck. <clears throat> he only becomes a villain when Spider-Man deems him as a villain. Because instead of the Spider-Man that went to take off his mask to emphasize with Doc Ock and help redeem the man Otto Octavius from the last movie, we have a scene where you know, in the truck, Sandman literally says, I don't want to hurt you. And Peter, being this cocky, egotistical superhero now, he's like, well, sucks for you because I'm the sheriff around these stars. Like, he doesn't even try to attempt to empathize with Sandman. You know, he just see he's now in cloud nine and he only sees the situation situation as black and white as, hey, look, you're you're stealing. I'm the superhero. All right. Let's uh, it's too late for sorries. All right. Yeah. So Spider-Man is the one that makes him out to be the supervillain. And that's before Peter finds out the that Sandman was the one that actually killed Uncle Ben. And it's such a great arc to see Peter at the end forgive Sandman uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, so yeah, in that aspect he is. Now with Harry... You know, Harry was, you know, gung-ho for revenge, but I feel like this was... So, to go back to 2002, we heard, you know, before Harry... I mean, not where Harry. Uh, Norman slash Green Goblin dies. He tells Peter, don't tell Harry. Now, my theory is that wasn't Norman. You know, that wasn't Norman, you know, coming out from one last moment to be like, don't tell Harry, you know. That was Goblin manipulating Spider-Man, manipulating Peter Parker. And I think it worked because it brought Harry over to wanting revenge on Spider-Man. The fact that Peter refused to tell Harry about, you know, what really happened caused Harry to want revenge. Now, admittedly, I think this is the one aspect that just it needed more time to flesh out in the movie. It just, I, I blame the Sony execs for meddling in and it's a shame because it is what the movies were being built on to was this climax, you know, of Harry becoming the next goblin. And I hate the name new goblin. I hate it. I think it's stupid. I think this skateboard glider is stupid. The, you know, it, it's just the decision without New Goblin is stupid. Not Harry's arc and him becoming the next Goblin, but the whole New Goblin part, the whole ski masks thing, you know, design wise, I hate it. I hate it. I think it's stupid. It's dumb. It's very 2007. <clears throat> and that did not age well. And I, it's also a shame to see it kind of... That was the element of the movie that got backburned, like put on the back burner 
to make way for Venom in the black suit. Which, again, Sony meddling, I think, it sucked. I think it's a shame that Sam Raimi, you know, takes the blame for it. You know, how the movie turned out when it honestly was the executive's fault. And even though Raimi didn't care for Venom as a character, I felt that his portrayal of Eddie Brock was actually very good. I'm going to be going back to my opinions, share high tops review. Now I know people don't like this, this version of Venom or Eddie Brock, but after watching the movie myself, I'm like, for this Spider-Man, it works. It works well. And I think the black suit Spider-Man elements worked really well with the fact that Spider-Man is the villain of this movie and how Spidey slash Peter, he is on a high right now. And that drug is being his own ego, his own pride. And that black suit is a representation of that. Now, I think that's great. And again, Peter creates Eddie, you know, Eddie Brock to become Venom. I mean, yeah, Eddie Brock was a shit dirtbag, you know, person, and he does deserve the consequences that he got, but because of how, how Peter went about it, he still, in fact, created the villain. Like, yes, he should have been called out for plagiarism in his Spidey picture, but that's the one consequence he he earned. But, you know, Spider-Man destroying his camera probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, and he especially should not have used Gwen blah. Peter Parker should definitely not have used Gwen Sp Gwen Stacy. Wow, I, I almost kept saying Gwen Spacey. That's gonna be bad for the next episode if I keep doing that. <laughs> but no, seriously though, you know, Peter did that not to really get back at Eddie, but yeah, he knew that Eddie, to some degree liked Gwen Stacy. You know, he at least knew that Eddie was, you know, in love with Gwen. Even though he, Eddie had some creeper vibes. So I, I'm glad that Gwen did not go with Eddie. But at the same time, shame on Peter for still using her. That was definitely a wrong on Peter. Uh, anyway, since I went on that tangent, I forgot to mention how Peter created Harry. Oh, I think I mentioned how he how he just didn't tell Harry the truth soon soon enough. And when Harry gets his amnesia, Peter doesn't take the chance to talk to Harry about it and tell him the truth. He tries to sweep it under the rug and be like, let's ignore it ever happened. It's fine now. He doesn't know about it. He didn't count for the fact that, probably because of the goblin serum, that Harry's mind would heal in time to remember. So that was, you know, Peter dropped the ball there and he created that villain. So yeah, Peter creates the villains in these movies, making him the big bad. And I think that's also ballsy. That was also ballsy on Sam Raimi's part. 
and of course the writing team's part. I should give more credit to the writers as well. I think we all give the writers like it's always the writer's fault, but never the writers, you know, praise essentially. Like we always blame the writers for the movie's faults, but we don't praise them when the writing is actually good. Uh, but again, very ballsy to make Spider-Man the villain in his own movie in the third of a trilogy. And yeah, even though executive meddling definitely hurt this movie, I can see that. I can't imagine, you know, taking away anything. And I would just imagine there just needed to be more stuff added on to this movie and make it a longer run time. And I will be checking 3.1 to see that happen. But even then, you know, I don't. What we have on screen, I wouldn't want to change it. It's not like Godzilla vs. Kong, where I'm like, well, I actually have some things that I would change drastically. Here, I'm like, there's problems, but I don't think I would change a thing. I actually went out in the theater as a kid, you know, watching it when I was a kid slash teenager. I was like, I had to be... 11 when this movie came out about 11 sounds right when spider-man 3 came out and i remember loving this movie you know when it came out and you know what yeah i i still love spider-man 3 and i love this trilogy as a whole yeah so we're in the 40 past the 40 minute mark so <laughs> yeah i again i maybe in the future as like a one-year anniversary thing or whatnot, I will go back and do a breakdown of each movie more detailed. But I just got to say, overall, I love the Raimi trilogy as a whole. Maybe that's nostalgic bias, but I don't think so. I think there's legitimate quality in all of these movies. And I don't really have a lot of bad things to say uh as a whole and i think watching the trilogy you know back to back not exactly in a row but you know close enough to each other you know i think seeing them together really helps each movie's you know pros even more so with that out of the way i don't know how i'm gonna i'm gonna probably have to Pick one negative review for each movie just to make this podcast not too long. But yeah, with that out of the way, let's get on to John versus Critics. Alright, so I have pulled up the reviews. So, because we're doing multiple movies this episode, I'm just going to do one review for each movie. Uh, funny enough, I actually had trouble finding a review, a negative review for the first Spider-Man. I it took me a while to find one where I thought I could like make it a bit entertaining. I had an easier time finding Spider-Man Two, weirdly enough. And I just want to preface this: uh, first of all, I'm doing IMDb user reviews this time. 
mostly because these are a little bit older movies. It's harder to find like reviews are still there are even online through like Rotten Tomatoes. So there's that. And also they're a bit more fun. User reviews are usually a bit more fun than the critical, the critics review. But anyway, in my discovery, I, of these reviews, I found that surprisingly enough, Spider-Man three has the lowest IMDb review rating out of all the live action Spider-Man movie. I mean, even lower than any of the amazing Spider-Man, which that kind of surprises me. Not so much one, but definitely surprising that it's lower than two. But anyway, we're going to do this in chronological order of movie. This one is of the 2002 Spider-Man review. It is written by Love Coates back in May 2002. The title is, You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Please tell me you're kidding me. Well, I'm I'm afraid I'm not kidding. This, As everyone who's listening, and I mean everyone, I mean no one at this point. This is a very serious podcast. I'm 100% serious in everything I say. But anyway, that is the title. Let's go into... The review itself. This is a one-star review. I always like to go for the bottom ratings. The more negative ones. So. Love Coats says. Aside from the upside down kiss. Movie history moment. This is the cheesiest movie I've ever seen ever in my life. No, seriously. Why you ask? I I do ask. How is this? Well, I don't ask why it's the cheesiest. I ask how how is this the cheesiest movie you've seen? Um, I'm in fact I'm not sure there was even a slice of cheese in this movie. Not that I've seen. Oh no, wait, there might have been. There was a mention of cheeseburger. So this guy's on to something. Anyway, he continues. The scene where Toby is bouncing off the walls, flipping with hang time beating up the high school bully in front of a crowd of people, and no one says a word about how strange it is. Actually, from there, there's this thing called visual storytelling, and you can tell through quite a bit of, you know, people's faces that, yeah, this is kind of weird. But at the same time, you gotta imagine, we're all high, when we were all high schoolers, we kind of, if we saw something cool, we'd be like, oh, that's cool. And you know what? To be fair, I've seen Stranger Things in life than this movie. Anyway, he goes on and says, William Defoe's costume. Ah, ha, 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 
any grown man in a costume that when it's not Halloween, I find them any just just genuinely scary. If they're not in a convention or in you know, it's not Halloween and they're just and you know what let hypothetically speaking, maybe if they're flying around a glider Yeah, I would find that a bit scary, but I, I don't but anyway, I don't think the costume was meant to be scary. I think it was meant to be a little silly. But I, I picked this one out because if anyone knows the back, like some of the behind the scenes stuff, Spider-Man, there was plans to make uh, the Green Goblin's face like animatronics. But I don't remember what the reason why they I think there was just it was too problematic you know filming like I don't mean like politically problematic I mean like literally if there was too it was too complicated or something like that I would have to do more research but yeah like look up the behind the scenes stuff the Green Goblin costume that we got in the movie was not the initial that wasn't the first choice I will mention, though, it was kind of weird to see, you know, some of the dialogue being spouted by Green Goblin, but you can clearly see through his little mouthpiece that William Defoe was not actually moving his lips. So that there was a couple moments where, like, when Green Goblin says, impressive, you know, uh, you don't see William Defoe actually move his lips. So that that is weird. I'll give you a point there. Anyway, back to the review. The dialogue must have been written by the same people who do Barney and Pokemon. Or maybe it's by Stan Lee. Actually, no. Uh, here's the thing. I love this movie because it embraces its cheesy, or quote-unquote cheesy. <laughs> we haven't determined this is the cheesiest movie yet. In fact, I don't. I'm not sure if he has gone to the explain any of this why it's the cheesiest. I don't know. But I don't know. Has he really sat through a Pokemon episode or an episode of Barney? I don't think he has. I mean the sheer poetic dialogue of I love you and you love me is it's pure poetry. I swear. Anyway, the Green Goblin. Why does he do anything? We never find out. He's mad at his boss. Okay, he gets him. Then, he's mad at World? Apparently? Why? Well, we f we know why he's green. <laughs> so, the thing is, there's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde going, like, theme going on with Goblin and where Norman is being fully corrupted by his Hyde persona the Green Goblin Green Goblin is like so the reason why Goblin does what he does is that he's afraid of losing his power you know like it's not just a simple like oh he's mad at his boss and he kills him yay goal's over no, he's constantly... Norman Osborn's constantly riddled with... Um, insecurities, I guess would be the best way to say it. 
after he kills his boss, like his bosses, or it's not even his bosses, it's his board of directors. Because he's the CEO of the company. You gotta remember. But that was when he first encountered Spider-Man and had a fight. And he lost to Spider-Man. He's a sore loser. He he was... Uh, he fought, <clears throat> felt insecure about with Spider-Man. And first he tried to manipulate him. So to try to get him onto his side. And when that didn't work, his goals have shifted to trying to... Not just kill Spider-Man, but completely destroy him, like char- characteristically. Like he attacks his loved ones, and just to get to really assass- trying to get to Peter and really like cause him harm, just besides just killing him. I I was not confused by the Green Goblin's motives. Anyway, the review continues. The scene where the Green Goblin, who has been trying desperately to find out who Spider-Man is, knocks him unconscious, then doesn't take off his mask. Hello, Hollywood. Any brains in there? I don't think he's trying. At that point, he's not trying to find out who Peter is. He he's trying to figure out who takes the pictures of Spider-Man because at that point he wanted to join up with Spider-Man. So he was trying to get him on his side first before trying to find out who he is and then trying to kill him. So but to to the reviewer's credit, Goblin could have just looked at the paper and say and see oh photos taken by Peter Parker but i think part of it the reason why he did that is because he doesn't have a daily bugle to subscription that was the real shame of it he didn't bother to really read and i think he just wanted to dick around i, I green goblin is just a character who wants to dick around and i respect that and then back to the review. The fake tears. We see Toby with dry eyes. We cut away for three seconds. We cut back. He has tears running down his face? Well. <laughs> wait, wait. This sentence is weird. The fake tears. We see Toby with dry eyes. Oh, okay. We cut away for three seconds. We cut back. He has tears running down his face. I am just. And what, what scene is he talking about? Is he like talking about when Uncle Ben died? And sure, maybe they're not the most realistic tears, but that's not the point. <laughs> hey, I, we all know like a lot of the tears in movies are fake. This is the point of making that complaint. Again, you're. This is the problem with this review, though. The problem is, we have not yet to find out why, like how, how or why this is the cheesiest movie they have ever seen. Like nothing is cutting back to that argument. That nothing has proven that point. 
And then let's go on with the review's conclusion. The ending. Oops, there wasn't one. Even though there was. But I think I know where the confusion is. And the review says I could go on forever had I bothered to stay awake. See, that's the problem. That's The guy, this person here, did not stay awake. They fell asleep through the movie. So I feel like they fell asleep halfway through the movie and they got mad that they fell asleep. And instead of being like, oh, darn, I fell asleep. They're like, damn it. I have to be mad about this movie. How dare they not explain things in the first half of the movie that I was awake for? <laughs> like, maybe if you stood stood awake, you would know there was an ending. You would you would understand more of what's going on with the movie. I think you went in maybe a little bit sleepy already. I I'm just saying <laughs> there was an ending, but as you clearly stated. You, you didn't stay awake for it, so... Anyway, that was... Again, Love Coat's review. And... Has not yet proven why... Or how this is the cheesiest movie they have ever seen. <clears throat> so let's go on to Spider-Man 2. This takes place in 2008. The title is called... The Worst of the Spider-Man Movies. And this is by K-R-Y-C-E-K-19, or Krysek19. I, I found this review pretty interesting. This is, uh, this is the longest one. Spider-Man 3 one short, but I found this very interesting. This is a one-star review. Anyway, the review starts off with, for some reasons... Superhero comics turned into movies are always done by directors that take the subject way too seriously, which means way, way too much talk and way, way too little action, which is the main problem with Spider-Man 2. Nothing works in this way too long movie with so many moral talks and lessons to be learned that me and my buddy stopped counting after annoying Aunt May gives Peter Parker lesson number 30 about always doing the right thing. So, first of all, we do not accept any dissing of Aunt May. That is not allowed in this podcast. All right. Just making that clear. <laughs> I would also rather have a director that takes the subject matter seriously than one that doesn't give a shit. And... <laughs> so many moral talks. Have Have you not read... Oh, okay, I don't want to sound like that fanboy. Like, Did you not read comics? But... Actually, my question is, have you not seen any other Spider-Man media... After, like prior, there was always talks about morality. It's part of Peter Parker and Spider-Man's like morality, and I think how they executed this was fantastic. I like Spider-Man is nothing, or at least this version of Spider-Man is nothing without Peter Parker. 
I, I, I got to be careful now. There's so many Spider-Man and we got Miles Morales because, of course, there can be Spider-Man that are not Peter Parker, but this is a Peter Parker Spider-Man. So I actually prefer going more into the characters without strong characters. The action would suck. And also, I don't I don't think anime does, gives that many lessons. Like lesson number thirty, uh, I I would say there was like I don't know, not thirty, maybe five, at best. Honestly, I could prefer more life lessons. I could use that in my life right now. Again, we do not accept any Aunt May slander in this podcast. Anyway, I'll continue on. With this we both felt like throwing up. Well, don't go into the movie theater sick or watch the movie at home with a like with a upset stomach. It's not it's not going to be a good time. Trust me, I know. The best thing about the third installment, besides from the added added and constant action scenes, is definitely that Aunt May is only in one scene. Let's hope they kill off her character in the fourth movie. See again, my. My, my dude, Krysek19, we do not accept that. That is, uh, that is unacceptable. Like There is no reason to kill off Aunt May. In fact, I hope Aunt May is never killed off because I don't want one more, one more day repeating, even though I'm pretty sure they're taking a lot from one more, one more day. Into No Way Home, and it scares me. It scares me a lot. By the way, it's it's very interesting. I like this is the reason why I picked this review. I don't like. I've never really seen anyone put Spider Man three above Spider Man two. Like, that's just insane to me. Like, legitimately. It's freaking uh, insane. Like, I've never... Like, it's such an odd take. Especially since, like, most people dislike Spider-Man 3 outright. Or at least a lot of people I know. Even though it's gone more of a cult following in recent years. It, it's the, yeah, like, I remember when it came out, it had such a backlash. So, again, it's just so interesting. To see that there was a take that, oh yeah, Spider-Man 3, better than Spider-Man 2. So wild. And also, I, I hate to break this to you, but there ain't going to be a fourth movie. I'm sorry. There, there was something behind the scenes going on, and I hear they're rebooting it. We'll, we'll see how that turns out. In next week's episode, ah... Uh, Ah, uh, JK. JK, not finished with this one yet. Anyway, review continues. The biggest problem is the geeky dork Toby Maguire. He's just so annoying and has the most annoying face. And he's a character is so clumsy and always screws up whenever he is not in his Spider-Man suit. <laughs> I, I love how this is right. He's just so annoying, and he had the most annoying face. Ugh. 
I, I love that part. But yeah, we. Here's the thing with Peter Parker. The thing with Peter Parker is that his life sucks. His life is absolute crap, and and the only moments where he's really clumsy is when it comes to when he lost his powers. In the middle of the movie, that's when his clumsiness comes back. And but before that, he's not really clumsy. He just has very poor time management skills. And the point of the movie is that he just doesn't have a great life balance. He does not have that balance in life, and he goes through burnout. Anyway, let's finish off with this paragraph. It says, And Peter Parker and the comic books are taller than Toby. <laughs> I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know what... Uh, <laughs> height has to do with an actor's portrayal. I mean... D do taller people make for better here? <laughs> I, I don't get it. Maybe that's why nobody cares about Hugh Jackman being Wolverine. He, he was taller, but hey, tall people are better superheroes, right? The taller, the better. <laughs> but seriously, it, it's so funny. It's like, oh, comic book version is taller than Toby. Alright, and then you get people back when Hugh Jackman was cast as Wolverine, fans being mad that Hugh Jackman was too tall because Wolverine, he's like five foot two or five foot three or something like that. That that's funny. And also, he goes on to say that Peter Parker in the comics is better looking and not that much dork. <laughs> oh, buddy, oh, buddy, I I would like you to read more Spider-Man comics. Clearly, I don't think you've read that many. Especially if you go back to Spider-Man, no, yeah, like back in the '60s, Peter Parker was supreme dork. He was the ultra dork. Like, does he think that Peter Parker was the cool kid? If he does, I, I hate to break this to that guy. Uh, oh. Anyway, let's go back to the review. I'm. I'm already pretty far into the time-wise, but it's probably going to be a longer one anyways. So, in this next paragraph in the review, the scene in the beginning, why does Peter Parker ride around delivering pizzas on his crappy scooter? When he is Spider-Man, well, <laughs> because he there's a thing called a secret identity. And, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be swinging around all the time. You know, you have to imagine swinging from building to building has to be a lot of work. I mean, that's a lot of arm work going around, the, you know, stretching and pulling. You, you got to get tired from that. And again, it has to do with the whole, you know, secret identity part. He can't always be Spider-Man, it would be weird that Spider-Man was constantly delivering pizzas. Like, they showed the one time where Spidey was 
you know, delivering pizzas in that scene. And <laughs> and we know that he was still late, even as Spider-Man. So I don't think that's an issue. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, why is he so obsessed with MJ, played by the unattractive bad actress Kristen Dunst, when he could get laid all the time as Spider-Man? <laughs> oh, because, sir, sir, I don't think. <laughs> oh my goodness! There's a thing. Got great power, great responsibility. Peter Parker is a very responsible, good-natured individual. He's not. I mean, technically, yeah. You, if technically, yeah, he could, but he's he won't because that's out. That's uncharacteristic of him. That goes against his nature. I think you're confusing Peter Parker with Eddie Brock. Honestly, Eddie Brock from the next movie, because what what you're describing is not. Spider-Man Peter Parker you're more describing what you're describing what Spider-Man should not be the you're going man this is such a misunderstanding of the character I love it and why doesn't he sleep with his landlord's daughter who is clearly into him well maybe I don't know about you he's just not into her I mean, nothing wrong with that. There's just... He's just not attracted to her. And I think that's fine. You don't have to be attractive. Like, attracted to... Like, just the next girl that... You know... That finds you interesting. There's gotta be chemistry. Again... Peter Parker's not here to try to get laid. He's... He wants something a bit more. He wants love you know he knows what his heart wants and that's like he's in love with mj he he just it's not just oh i want to get laid by mj i i'm sorry if you're i, I feel there's some insecurities being put into this review but I, I i'm not here to judge characters i'm here to judge what's written in front of me but a spider-man is not the fantasy that Spider-Man has always been a tragic tale. Again, what a misunderstanding of the character. Anyway, the review continues. The part where he loses his powers is dumb and unnecessary. and happens at a point in the movie where, where there has been almost no action at all. And we had just watched Parker screw everything up for himself for about an hour. Not to mention all the constant scenes with his Aunt May. Okay, how many scenes were... Okay, first of all, you must have gone to the bathroom and thrown up during the bank heist scene. That was action. Oh, oh, what about when Doc Ock was, you know, first, you know, setting up the sun? That was an action scene. There, 
that was in the first hour. I, I don't know about you. And can we forget when uh, Peter Parker, the reason why he was late to MJ's play was because of a, I don't know, action scene? Like, again, you, it sounds like you want this to be a Bruce Wayne movie. <laughs> That's not a Batman movie. A Bruce Wayne movie. If Bruce Wayne was not Batman. Anyway. And also again. Stop slandering Aunt May. I'm going to have to kick you out. Like I'm going to have to stop reading if you slander Aunt May again. It's just. Anyway. And also. You know how I mentioned Doc Ock. Well the next paragraph in this review. Goes into Doc Ock. And. He says, the villain is dumb and pathetic, and badly played by Alfred Molina. <laughs> okay, so we're about, I don't know, about halfway through this review, and right at the halfway point, I should say. <laughs> and man, this the writing is just saying, this sucks, that sucks, everything sucks. But anyway... Also, again, don't don't slander Alfred Molina like that at all. Stop slandering these actors. Like, come on, man. Come on. And definitely the worst villain in all the movies. What a weird take. Doc Ock has been... See, the general consensus is that Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2 is one of the best portrayals and one of the best villains of all of Spider-Man cinema. Yet, this person's like, no. No, he sucks. He's the worst. And the scene with the train is the only big action scene in the entire film. Not acceptable in an action movie like Spider-Man. Well, again, you forgot a couple of scenes like the bank heist, the I I feel I feel you were not watching a different movie or at least cuts of a movie. All right, let, let, let's continue. I'm getting I'm starting to get a headache from this review. Anyway, the scenes between Parker and Harry were where Harry blames Spider-Man for his father's wonderfully played by William Defoe. Whoa. Well, we can't have actor praising now in this review, but good for you for not dissing William Defoe. I will credit you that. Thank you for not dissing William Defoe. But anyway, Harry blames Spider-Man for his father's death in the first movie. Doesn't work. And when he finds out that Peter is Spider-Man, a real confrontation is not allowed in this horrible script because it, the annoying MJ has to be rescued once again. Well, MJ only need to be rescued once in this movie, to be fair. But how how does his blame not work? Like how does it not work? Explain. And of course he finds out that Spider like Peter is like Spider-Man, of course. There is a bit of a confrontation. But it's sidelined because it's like, look, Doc Ock is going to do supervillain things. He's going to put the city and MJ in danger. We got to put this, 
This is not important right now. I'll deal with this later. Kind of moment. And of course, Harry doesn't do it because he just realized, oh shit, my best friend, my brother from another mother, is the person, is also the person that I think killed my father. There's a huge shock right there, an emotional like shock right there for the character. He like emotionally he feels so conflicted. But anyway, <clears throat> the scene where Harry finds the Green Goblin's equipment and suit should have been the final scene, if you ask me. But no, Sam Raimi had to add one last nauseating scene where MJ runs away from her own reading and into the arms of Parker. Probably one of the worst endings in movie history. Uh, I don't know if I can keep reading this review, but I, I'm going to keep pushing on. But th there is something to be said that it would have worked as fine, you know, if we did leave it off with that as the final scene, or maybe as a post credit scene. Uh, uh. But with all that aside, I feel that MJ running to Parker was important to the movie and to the characters overall. It goes to show that it's actually the opposite of the first movie, where the first movie was like, you know, Peter Parker puts his responsibility first and abandons his love. He, you know, abandons his dreams. But at this time, it's the one... Like, we've seen this movie beat up Peter and Spider-Man relentlessly. He has been put through the ringer. To a, For us as an audience, we needed that at least one moment where Peter Parker gets the good ending. We needed that. We needed to see that. And also makes a point that, hey, you can't exactly just choose what's best for... Like, this is what I like about MJ in this movie. At the end, she... Like, it's different from the first one where... Being that one, she didn't know Peter was Spidey. But at, at the end, she's like, look, Peter, you can't decide what I have to do in life like this is mj's decision and she feels like hey no i don't care i love you and i'm willing to risk my life for it and also it ends what i like about the ending as well it's not also it's also not a extreme happy ending like at first it is but when peter parker goes to spider-man you know swings away we see MJ looking out the window with a face of uncertainty. But, and I think it shows, like, that's a great ending, a very subtle, is this a good ending? Is this the best, you know, outcome? You know, it presents us with a good ending, but then has us question, is it though? Anyway, we're, we're down to the last two paragraphs of this review. Fortunately, the third movie has all the things that this lousy sequel builds up 
to for nearly two hours, but never follows up on. Lots of action and a selfish mean Spider-Man and more violence. So he's a fan of Black Suit Spidey. Okay, you know, part of me thinks that this is just a troll, but I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, I love guys. I'm starting to think this is a joke review. Maybe I, I've been punked, but I don't know. It's very well. It's there's a lot written for it, so who knows? Maybe I've been trolled, but <laughs> lots of action and selfish mean Spider-Man and more violent. Is that the Spider-Man that you really? Again, such a misread of the character. Anyway, he finishes off with, let's hope they fire the entire cast for a fourth movie and find better actors that are better looking and give it a higher rating. Like 16 or 18, so he can have even darker movies than the excellent third installment. So we give it a higher rating, like 16 or 18? 16 or 18 out of what? Out of... Ten? A hundred? A thousand? A million? I don't know. I, I don't know what 16 or 18 means. Or, or are you talking about the actor's age? I don't know. But hey, lucky for you. I hear, I hear they're rebooting it. You know, the fourth movie completely. And they're going to find a different cast of characters. Like, completely. The reviewer keeps going on and says, I read I read that Leonardo DiCaprio turned down playing Spider-Man. Let's hope he changed his mind if a fourth movie becomes a reality. How great could these films have been with him? He is handsome and a far better actor than the short, annoying dork, Tobey Maguire. This movie gets zero stars from me. Okay. I'm starting to think I've this is a troll. Review, but at the same time, I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes with these trolls, especially trolls back in 2008. They're not as clear as some of the trolls nowadays. I, it's very... I don't know. I, I just... I found this review so weird. Just a weird reading of what they wanted the Spider-Man character to be versus what Spider-Man has always been. But anyway, that's that's Spider-Man 2 review right there. Thank you, Crysec, for that interesting review, that interesting take. But now finally, finally, we got a 1 out of 10 star review of Spider-Man 3 by... Bot and Got 21 with the title called They Destroyed Spider-Man Completely. This was ran back in 2007. And let's see how this will be. Oh boy. Thankfully this one's shorter. While I really enjoyed Spider-Man 2, I have never been so angry after watching Spider-Man 3. Ooh, I love this. I love the angry ones. I love when the 
when people get so angry at movies, it, it's always it's always interesting when somebody gets genuinely angry from film media. Anyway, they continue on to say they have completely destroyed it. The script is extremely weak. The actions are nowhere near expectation. I don't know. The last review said there was a lot more action and violence. One of someone's lying here. All right, I don't like it. Review continues. In fact, I found myself growing impatient, wondering when the next action scene would be. Ninety percent of the time in this movie focused on the characters' emotions, which failed to deliver anyway. See that? That's what the last reviewer said about Spider-Man Two. Something's fishy going on. I think this is the same person. I think we've been trolled, but maybe not. Because you know what? The thing is, a lot of people didn't like Spider-Man 3, so. Continue on. I felt no sympathy, no emotion, just itchiness of wanting to leave the cinema. I walked into the cinema expecting actions and good fun, or at least good strong script. I did not want to go in there to listen to tasteless words, to watch stretchy scenes. They were supposed to be meaningful, but were oh so disappointing. Or to witness directing disasters such as the scene where Spider-Man danced the jazz bar. Everybody dislikes the jazz bar scene. Me included. Like, that was... That felt weird. That felt out of place. Like, I think the bar scene would have been fine if maybe Peter didn't... I don't know. <laughs> start doing a musical routine out of nowhere. I don't know about you. Even though I didn't like it, you know, in terms of the quality, like how it tonally fit with the movie, I I do enjoy it now just for the sheer how ridiculous it is. I, I find it that to be entertaining. It was horribly directed, but horribly directed, just terrible. I could not bear the last five minutes of the movie. I just wanted it to end right away because I didn't want to walk out on something I paid for. I guess everyone else felt the same because the minute the credits started to roll, everybody stood up at the same time. Like there was a fire under everyone's bottom. We left the cinema feeling frustrated, cheated, misled by the trailer. And we couldn't leave the cinema fast enough. Our, well, that, that's... Here's the thing, I've after rewatching Spider-Man 3, I'm in the I actually like this movie. It's better than a lot of people say it is, and it's a lot better than this person has said about it. But sorry about that. Still recovering from the cold. But it is just so intriguing that the last reviewer he said, oh, there's barely any action scenes. But thankfully, Spider-Man 3 has all the action scenes. And this reviewer is saying, like, where's the action scenes? Where is it? And to that response, well, sir, what about, I don't know, Spidey versus Sandman, Peter Parker versus Harry Osborn? A couple times. What about Dark Suit Peter fighting Sandman the Sewers? What about 
the final battle. I, there's a lot of action scenes, my friend. And focusing on the characters' emotions, that's been on par for this trilogy. I, I'm pretty sure you walked into the third one without watching the last two, it seems like. Uh, but there, the other points I can't really combat too much because they are the person's like opinions, like subjective opinions. It's kind of hard to roast. Like this is a clear case of maybe expectations were a bit too high. So never go into a movie with high expectations. That's the lesson of today, and that's the last review. So, overall, critics are weird. Reviewers online, they're weird. But I like to make fun of them anyways. And of course, don't harass anyone. And also, I'm not, I'm not insulting them as a character. Like, I don't know them, of course, like the reviewers. But I'm just making fun of what they're writing and also these are old reviews and uh, probably a lot more tame than a lot of modern day user reviews are but with that thank you for listening to this podcast thank you for making it this far and of course make sure to follow me on social medias twitter and instagram Probably at this point, I won't be super active on them, but I'll probably be semi-active. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not sure if it's gonna be up with this episode, but I'm probably gonna post my website link onto one of the upcoming episodes here. Maybe this one. I gotta get a new uh, dom domain name, and that's probably gonna be where serious updates or anything. I gotta keep more track of that, but. Anyways, follow me on socials, and you can check out this podcast on YouTube, the Podbean app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. See? See, we're making progress. I now finally have places where you can listen to, definitive places other than YouTube. So anyways, check me out there. And again, thank you for so much for just listening to this part and listening to me ramble and heck out and read some user reviews online. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or and rest of your week. And I'll see you guys next time. Take care. On the next episode of John vs. Film, Spidey's first big reboot is met with executive interference as well as a divisive fan base. Let's hope John can handle this amazing situation. See you then!